<laughs> this week, we spent some time with anarchic youths in London, spent some time inside the predictably weird mind of the man who created The Exorcist, <laughs> and I have a talk with someone who has lived through more eras of film than I can ever read about. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Yes, good evening and welcome to your Friday night of oh, movie nostalgia, your fr Friday slice of movie nostalgia. We've just been doing tongue twisters and they seem to have messed my, wor <laughs> messed my words up. My name is Tosin and I'm going to be the guy who holds your hand for the next hour and a half as we talk about great old movies and how great they were. With me in the studio today are Sean. Hiya. And Sharon. Hello. Yes, you are listening to Sunshine Radio, St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. This is They Don't Make Them Like They Used To, as we have said. Now, what we do on this show, as we've said, is talk about great old movies, about how great they are and all that. We usually start each week by choosing a film that we think bona fide classic. One of us chooses a film that we say, this film is amazing, no one can argue with it, you need to go see this film. This week, Sean has chosen the film, but before Sean tells us what film he has chosen, I am going to play a song from this film or a song that features in this film that is used in a very different way from how this song is actually usually known. And while we're playing this song, let's see whether you can guess what film it is that Sean has chosen as his first choice. That never gets old. Yes, that was Gene Kelly with Singing in the Rain. However, if you'd guessed, obviously, this is obvious, it's a trick question. We're talking about Singing in the Rain. You would be, Sean? Wrong. You would be horribly, horribly so wrong. wrong. So, so wrong. So wrong. So wrong. Yeah, so this is probably the second most famous incident of this song in a movie. So tell us, what film is it that we're talking about today, Sean? Okay, it's a 1971 film, quite controversial at the time. And um, it's a clockwork orange. A clockwork orange. A clockwork orange, yeah. All right. So this is like Stanley Kubrick's movie. Stanley Kubrick movie, yep, yeah, all the, the way. That that was so controversial when it was released that I think it got banned and then he actually pulled it and he just, he decided that it wasn't going to be shown anywhere in the UK. Y yeah, there was... While a, he was alive. So. While he was alive, yeah, because um, it was quite controversial um, because there were some incidents that happened and we know what the British press is like. It was like... Oh, this is the reason, this is the reason this happened because people had watched this film. I think there was, you know, yeah. a couple of incidents, two or three incidents, and they blamed it for people watching the film. I mean, if we talk, we talk about censorship, but it wasn't actually the the government or anything that censored it. It was, it was Stanley Kubrick himself that pulled it and said it wouldn't be shown till after his death. Um, that, but that was only in Britain. But I mean, you could order yeah, you a could VHS from from, from America, from America, and France, and that. So it was only only in this country really that it was it was banned for that that many years. But I do remember during this time, my sister, who's slightly older than me, she had a a boyfriend who was a I must say did seem a little bit obsessed, and he liked the Doctor Martins, and the, he wore similar to the the costume the, that the characters in the that film. characters in the film wear, yeah, the droog. So so it probably did. I mean. 
I, I really believe that our country was so repressed for so many years for different things and <laughs> censored and all that sort of stuff. It was, you know, probably, probably oh, there might have been something there. Oh, okay. So uh, let's let's um, take a step back and let's so, see what is this film actually about. So we know that there was all this hoopla around it and everything like that. And with most of these things, usually when there's a lot of hoopla, the people making the biggest noise have never actually seen the film. So, that's right that's right yeah but, so so what is what was the film actually about that that led to the, all this hoopla okay well what it was it was like um society was uh, some of the youngsters were incredibly violent and mm. the, they came up with this new idea that if they subject the subject to constant images of violence with music that eventually they would get really really it would make them ill if they if they were to commit any crimes or, or cause any violence. Okay. And like an aversion therapy. Yeah, an aversion therapy. So what they did, what he decided rather than go to prison, that he would try this therapy, Malcolm McDowell, Alex. Yeah, he plays a, he plays a character called Alex. Alex, yeah. So this is at the beginning of the film, he decides to go into this therapy. It starts off, no, it starts off, the film starts off with like the, the precursor before he goes to the therapy. Mm-hmm. And he's got some gang members with him, he calls his droogs. And they decide that it starts. Oh, what the start? It's like not really any titles, and it just starts off with a piece of music, which is just and just like a red screen, uh, a red screen. Yeah. As those tongue twisters again, <laughs> a red screen, and there's a piece of music called "Funeral for Queen Mary," big piece of classical music, and it's just like a red screen, and then there's no titles as such. Yeah. And then it goes to Alex and his droogs and they're sitting in a milk bar having a drink before they decide to go out and commit some crimes. And they go out and they commit some crimes and they commit a particularly horrific one and he ends up getting caught. And then he decides he's going to try this new this new treatment which they will they sort of keep his eyes open they, they, and there's a great shot that you've probably seen in yeah, schools and things. Yeah, it's quite a famous they, one yeah, where they sort of like hold his eyes open. They hold his eyes open and they force him to watch like Hitler films and and violence and things and until it makes him feel sick and they play this music until it makes him feel sick and uh, well, you, you'll have to see the film really to see if the treatment works because I don't want to spoil it for anybody <laughs> I can if you want if you want to be spoiled Sharon you look you're looking really bemused there well I haven't actually seen it it's not a film that appealed to me I think no. during my teens it was during that phase when it wasn't shown yeah and it never appealed to me enough to go and get an illegal copy to watch it mm. I think it's because of I didn't know quite how to categorise it because if it was horror, I probably would have seen it because I did see quite a few of the banned movie, the video nasties. I oh, saw yeah, quite yeah. a few of those. And I saw other films that were banned, but this one didn't appeal. So, yeah, yeah because. About it, I'm thinking, I don't know how to categorise it. So, it didn't, that, where it wasn't like, if it was science, overtly science fiction, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. If it had been, I don't know, a drama, I would think, oh, I'll watch that, see what all the fuss is about. But because it was just this unknown, it was just this weird film, it, I it did, is, didn't appeal. It, it is weird because I remember there was a time, I think it was, it was oh, well, when Stanley Kubrick died. And obviously when he died, then all of a sudden, like the BBC decided we're going to have a season of Kubrick movies and they were just on late at night. And I caught a Clockwork Orange and I was watching it going, what? is this <laughs> because because you know um you were saying earlier how even the the setting of the film people argue about it is it supposed to be some sort of 1984 kind of like dystopian future is it supposed to be the 70s and it's is this weird kind of you don't exactly know when this film is taking place and it's and everything about the film seems designed quite frankly to unsettle you yeah yeah i guess it could be quite an unsettling movie there is um they mention when they go out in the car to commit the robbery they mention uh 
that they're driving a Durango 95. Okay, and, and I mean, American cars, they, they go by year, don't they? We go by models mm. like Ford Focus, but Americans say, or a 1968 Dodge or yeah, yeah, yeah. 72. So there is some people think that it may be, it takes place in 1995, mm-hmm. which, you know, bearing in things, if you think of Kubrick's 2001, <laughs> and we're now, you know, so so perhaps it's 95, but no one really knows. And it, and even in the book, there's an, it doesn't really give a time or a place. So yeah. Yeah, so it's very, very ambiguous. Because it's quite ambiguous. Because even though, even if it's supposed to be, they don't dress much different from the way people were dressing at the time the film was made. That's right. Yeah. They, I mean, they they have the white bowler hats and the white, uh, no, sorry, the black bowler hats and the white thing and the the sort of like painting around the eye, which has just become like an iconic image of Malcolm McDowell. Which I know, I think, okay, it was Halloween last week. I'm sure there was loads of people still dressed up as Alex from Clockwork Orange <laughs> yeah. walking around. I mean, the deco is very 70s yeah. as well, really. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. When you look in his house, it's very... Yeah. I mean, I've only seen clips of it, and I think I've seen... Isn't there one peculiar scene where he's got like a giant phallus or something dancing oh, yeah. around yeah. it? Yeah. And I think when the people talk about that scene, you think, I have no idea how that fits into context. Well, because that, that again it puts me off watching thinking I hope it's not going to be one of those well, those films that's essentially where the song comes in isn't yeah, it yeah 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 basically, basically there's this like they go to this house and, and the ladies there or the woman there is a sculpt, sculptor you know sculptress I don't know what yeah. you call them and she she makes and that's one of the sculptors that she made that just happens to pick it up and and use it to actually kill her, but it doesn't. Yeah, I mean that's that's he, he beats her to death. He with beats it. her to death with it, oh, really. Right. Basically, so is that symbolic of well, the man oppressing women really or know. something, or is it just? That, that's the thing. You don't really know. It's one of these films that people. Well, it, it's essentially this is why students love this film because they can sit down after coming back from the pub, watch it late at night, and everybody can argue until the sun comes up, literally, about what it is they have just seen. Because it's, and I think um, the, because the, the thing about it is these droogs are extremely violent, they're extremely anarchic, they walk around, they kill people, they destroy property, and there is no rhyme or reason to it. There's no, this is what it is, this is our manifesto, this is why we are doing this. There's, there's none of that. And I think that that's why what you were saying about how, where, how do you classify the film because it's kind of like a well, I guess it is a bit of a horror. It is a bit of a, it has it has the kind of stuff that you would expect in horror around the time. Like you know, it has the violence, mm-hmm. it has like the nudity and all that kind of stuff. But the way in which it does is, I think, it's just too close to home. Okay. <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's not. It's so it's it might be in the future, it might be an alternative thing, but it isn't fantastical enough. It's actually very very. This could be real. This right. yeah, and I and I think I think that's. So I think it's the probably the best thing to say is probably a satire. Sean, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I think you could be right there. It's it's a satire of different because I mean, round about this time they did try lots of different ideas, you know. So yeah, I would. It's it's, it's, it's difficult to say, isn't it? it, it really, defies, it could be a, it could be a satire. Um, could be a metaphor for something. I don't know what, but yeah. you know. <laughs> so when you've got this, these scenes of against as someone who hasn't seen it, you see these, this ultraviolence, and you see this amoral. Then you can't say that they've made a, a choice to be. Have they made? A, is it? Is it about good and evil? Is it? Have they made a choice to do these things? Is it something that they're driven to? Are they just amoral? They do what they want to do. Right. And these are a consequence to their actions. Are they? Do you see like cause and effect? Do you see crime and punishment? Is it? Is well, there a balance to it? 
not really. Yeah, there isn't really. There isn't really a balance to it. Yeah, it's just basically delinquents, really. So like a juvenile delinquent. I mean, in the book, he's supposed to be around about 15. So Okay, so he's but older in the So yeah, although he's, you know, he lives with his parents. So he lives with his parents still. And basically he just, I don't know, maybe because of something to do, he just decides they're going to go and have some fun and do some thing that goes a bit awry. I think this film would probably wind me up. Do you think it would? Yeah, maybe. I think it might. I think it might do because it it would be just a bit too. Essentially, it's kind of like you know how you, for instance, I was I've been reading about Ripley. You know Patricia Highsmith, the Ripley character, and reading about him and and realizing that he never gets a comeuppance. He like he does all this stuff and he always gets away with it. And I think okay and. Even though some people might be saying that's what the real, real world is like, yes. I find that a little bit unfulfilling. And I think in this film, if you're looking for a rhyme or reason, or if you're looking for like a moral tale where they do all this stuff and in the end it doesn't matter because they're going to get caught by the law and they're going to go to prison for 20... Yeah, there's a you, consequence to what they do. Yeah, you are going to be disappointed. Yeah, see, I think I probably find that frustrating. <laughs> because, I think, be, yeah. because I think even the, what you were trying to say about how you're trying to avoid saying anything about the ending, how it... it it becomes, it's almost kind of like Alex, the main character. He does all this stuff. He gets caught. But then he doesn't really pay because the government look at him and they kind of they kind of look at him and they kind of think, oh, we can work with this and we can do something with him. Yeah. And and we can do something with this guy. It's essentially, essentially it, he, he ends up being given a job in the government. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, because some, something happens to him. And, of course, they say, oh, it was the... The treatment that caused this so the treatment caused this oh dear what can so, we do what can we do to like fudge it and make exactly. it seem oh no let's give him a, so they all and they're all really where they've treated him so horrible and he's had this accident and it's been blamed on the on the treatment they suddenly decide that they do like a fault face a complete u-turn and they're like oh alex you know yes you've they, been treated harsh yeah they essentially spin it, <laughs> spin it. they essentially spin it and they and then they go like so this guy who's done all these things beating somebody to death with the phallus has has like you know kill people all that kind of stuff it just caused wanton destruction for no reason whatsoever it the, the i think the film if i remember correctly actually ends with a shot of him in a chair with all this media around him yeah. and they're all like taking pictures and they're like alex alex talk to us alex and, and he's got a big grin on his face yeah he's got this big grin on his face like yeah i'm, I'm now a celebrity from and th- so i think i think when when you think about it the film is almost a bit sort of like prophetic in yeah. When you look at the world today, you look at, you know, people always talk about, okay, young people and youth and all that kind of stuff, and they hang around and they don't have much to do. So what do they do? They destroy things. <laughs> and and so I think it's it's almost as if, oh, I can't remember who wrote the book. Anthony uh, Burgess. Yeah, yeah. It's almost as if he was looking forward and saying, this is where we're heading, people. As it, it, so in that way, so like it, it has like sort of 1984 kind of vibe to it, almost yeah. like, look, this is where we're heading. This is the logical conclusion of where we're heading. Mm. And it's so, I mean, when you look at the London riots that happened a couple of years back, that is kind of like, it's kind of like seeing a whole bunch of mini groups of droogs yeah. running around destroying stuff. The book is the book is quite a small book, really. It's not like a huge book. and it's Often um, you find these quite insightful novels aren't massive. They're not doorsteps, yeah. are yeah. they? Often they are, about 100 pages long. Yeah, they Planet use, of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they use, use sort of... Um, quite an interesting language in it as well don't they it's like yeah they have re- the redo redo docs and things and it's like <laughs> they have their own slang and slang, all that kind of yeah, stuff it's so like it's... their own slang um okay. and apparently a lot of it because because burgess was a linguist and based it on russian russian you know the rush some russian words so yeah but, yeah so okay so sean 
You picked this film. Why did you personally pick this film? Well, I think what it was was probably because it was banned for for so long, and I was like, oh, I, I would really want to see a Clockwork Orange. And when it came out, and and I saw it, and I just thought, oh yeah, it is really, really as good as I thought it was going to be, you know. And I think that was the whole thing because of the controversy over it, and. I did read the book as well, so I wanted to see the the book. Like most things, like most books, are quite different from the film. Not 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 amazingly different, but there's obviously a little. Well, sometimes a book, if you've read the book first, it gives you a way into the film, and Mm. it gives you like an understanding of the characters Mm. outside of what you see, because you can get you can you can see what they think. You can read what they think. Do you find do you find that um, if you read a book and then see the movie, you're disappointed, or if you see the movie first and then read the book? What, what do you prefer? Because I genuinely read the book first, then watch. Okay. And that always, there's always shadow my, I'm more forgiving of the film if I've read the book first, I think, rather than the other way around. I, I think the thing is, if you see, if you see a film before you read the book, if you all read the book after the film, um, you get the picture, like all the characters, you, you, you picture them you as in the film. Visualises in the film, yeah. So, and well, I think that's why, but I think Lord of the Rings worked because, all the cat, I think all the characters in that were how I actually pictured them in the novel. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, and I think that's why. So there was no, there wasn't. Oh, I'm disappointed. You know. Yeah, because there's some I tend to think I visualise the book, and then I tend to be more forgiving of what I see, thinking, okay, it's not uh, the book, but I've got the book to fall back on. I, I think it really depends. It, for me, it really depends. There's some things that I think I've, I, I read the book, then saw the film. Uh, like for instance, a bit like a time to kill by John Grisham. Oh yeah, read the book, loved the book, saw the film, and just went, it's different. Different. It's like yeah. it's it's still good, but it's different. Yeah. There's there's some bits that they added that weren't in the book that work because of who they cast, like Samuel Jackson yelling from a dock, yeah. just like an awesome, <laughs> awesome cinematic. It's like, he's, he's, but, he's great. Yeah. Samuel so like, Jackson doing his like, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, so Samuel Jackson doing that is just an amazing cinematic moment that isn't in the book. Mm-hmm. But I'm still happy they put that in there. Yeah. But then there's things like um, Captain Corelli's Mandolin. I saw the film and I was like, I don't understand why this book, everyone's talking about this book. I'm not, re- not going to read that book because that, that was rubbish. Rubbish, yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, I was like, I was like, uh, I've, I, I've I, not I, even I, seen it. I just thought, I just thought either, I was like, either the guys who made this film messed up royally when they were translate when they were adapting this book or the book isn't all that. Because the film was annoying, it was horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it was. That's That's, Nicolas that Cage, is frustrating. <laughs> yeah, when they do that to books. <laughs> no, no, but I think this this wasn't even Nicolas Cage's fault. This no, the whole film was. The whole there was film. just nothing just falls there. Apart. Mm. There was nothing there. Uh, I it's... find it frustrating when some of my favourite books have never been done well on um, on in the cinema. Television sometimes is more favourable to books. It takes its time. It takes its, yeah. Pride and Prejudice. I've never seen a good film version of Pride and Prejudice. No, I haven't. I've that, never seen a good film version just... of Jane Eyre. Um, no, no. Televisions, they do it right, but the films just making a long novel into two hours doesn't work for me mm. often. <laughs> <laughs> but see, recently, the, the Martian loved the book, loved the film. Oh. They did trim bits out, and it was they'd made the ride a bit less bumpy for him, yeah. if that's possible. But I <laughs> thought it was great. I loved the book and uh, I loved the film as well. I was actually quite happy about that because there was a point in the film when I was thinking, I can't take it if one more thing goes wrong. <laughs> I really can't in the take book, it more, more stuff does go wrong. wrong. And you're thinking, no, give the guy a break. There was a moment in the book that I, I'd read about that, that and I was I spent the whole film waiting for it to happen and it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> because I, 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 was, I was so tense. Even after the film finished, I was just sat down there going, 
Something's still gonna go wrong. Something's still gonna go wrong. <laughs> he's, he's still floating out in space. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Cool. So, anything? Uh, any other things to say about that? Um. There's a lot of stock. Uh. Yeah. That's one. But David Prowse is in it. Yeah. He's, he's, oh, he's Darth actually, Vader. He's oh, Darth Vader. Yeah. 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 He's like a, a bodyguard sort of thing. He doesn't ever say anything. He just stands there with his arms folded, which is quite interesting. Like. Uh, uh, 70s roll neck <laughs> jumper white roll neck jumper and white trousers um yeah or, i mean i just think you need to see this film really and if you don't like it but you need to see it because i think there's lots of misconceptions about you know obviously because people have seen the photographs and heard mm. all the publicity but i think it's one of those films you need to see to make your own mind up and well, if you want to switch off after 20 minutes then yeah know. i think it's the kind of film that most people who are most people i know who've watched it like it but they can't quite articulate why, why they like yeah. it. It's one of those. <laughs> that, yeah. I, I think it's. I think it's one of those. Like people can't really say why they like it. They're just kind of like, Ooh, I don't know. Um, all right. Just one final thing I'll say about this. About uh, have you ever seen a film called Attack the Block? Yes. Yeah, I've seen Attack the Block. Attack yeah. the Block, and I think Attack the Block obviously goes all fantastical and sci-fi. But the opening bit where, like, you know, this group of guys in a London council estate rob, like, they mug. Oh, uh, uh, I was. <laughs> I was like not enjoying that because I was like that's yeah I was like that's I was like no that's way too close to home that's that 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 could be a documentary that scene could be a, I was like yeah way too close to home and after a while I was like you know if aliens did crash land in London you would want these guys to go somewhere <laughs> <laughs> <Is> that one, <laughs> the thing that makes me laugh I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same one is there a, a like a couple of couple of nippers with with water pistols. Field. Is that the one? Yes, yeah, yes, with, with, yes, and they, yes. They film yeah. them in petrol, yeah. I think I they go yeah. to the alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. okay. All right, cool. Thanks so much for that, Sean. And now we go into the section of the show, and this is literally, this is one of my favorite sections of the show because we get to go into the hospital and we get to speak to patients and ask them two questions. Could you tell us the story of the first time you ever went to the cinema and also what your favorite film of all time is? I met Hazel in our... Oh, in our pet ward. Okay, guys, we have to do it because it's our pet ward, Alveston. Are you guys ready? ready. Yep, we're ready. Ready? Boop. What? No. Computer says no. All right, never mind. A pet ward, Alveston. No, oh, Alveston. Alveston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I'm getting in to enjoy that. Where I met Hazel, and Hazel had. Oh, I'm just going to play the interview because I I love this. I could listen to her speak for hours. Because say when I go back, so a long, long time ago, but you wouldn't even heard them, I don't suppose. First one I saw, if I remember rightly, was the Jolson story. Now that's a long, long time ago. Oh, Jolson? Yeah. Oh. You wouldn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, because that was one of the first sort of like talking movies, wasn't it? It was the first talk, yeah, first talk the Jolson story, but the silent one, uh, oh golly, oh, what was an, um, I think that was Shorts. Saturday morning pictures, that was, the silent ones. Yeah. A long, long time ago. Thruppence to go in. Old money. Oh, um, oh God, what was her name? You probably heard about it because it's been around talking long. Laying across the railway lines, you know, train coming along and they're going to kill her. Oh, and then it continued next week. <laughs> Forgot what the name was. Yeah, it's one of, the, one of those things. And otherwise, the next one would have been... Um, Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse. Mm. Oh, I love Mickey Mouse. That was the first one of that. That's a long time ago. Yeah. So, but so, I haven't been for a long, long Well, because one thing I don't see now, so I can't see them in any case. But I haven't been for a long time. When the prices shot up like they did, that was it. Sorry, I'm not in the picture of that price. 
So I haven't been for a long, long time. Oh, 1970-something. You haven't been since 1970-something. Okay, let's, let's go back to the Jolson story. So obviously before this, there hadn't been many films. Like It was essentially sound was a big thing. Yes. Yeah. So could you just tell us what was that like going to... Because one of the things I always think is these are experiences I'm never going to have. So it's like, what was that like after so like going to the pictures and just seeing no sound, no sound, and then all of a sudden some guy opens up his mouth and then this sound... Oh, most peculiar. <laughs> one, one of the famous Hollywood stars, John Bowles, very nice-looking young man. But he got a silly voice like that when he spoke, so they had to dub his voice because it's so peculiar. I mean, he hadn't got a man's voice. So on, on screen, sounded very weird. This good-looking man in the voice. Oh, most, most weird that was, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but... That was one of the films, but he used to have played in several because it was so nice looking. But there wasn't getting him anywhere with talkies. And I oh, I can't remember a long time ago now, talkies, uh, Mickey Mouse cartoon, of course. I do know, I can't. Yeah, so I just wanted to think, obviously you were also around when films went from print, from black and white to colour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what, what was that like as well? That, oh, that when they first did the colour, yeah, first colour. Eastman colour, it was called. Eastman colour. And then Technicolor. Because the Eastman, that was Kodak, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, the Eastman colour, yeah. And then Technicolor. And I don't want it to stop being Technicolor. Just, I don't know what they called it after that. All sort of as Technicolor. And that was during the war. Mm. My goodness me. Testing my memory, you are. <laughs> I used to have a good memory for some things, but when it's a long time ago and so many things have happened in between, it's a bit hard to remember. Mm -hmm. So, oh, and um, I can't remember the first singing one, you know, the music, the singing. Um, no, it wouldn't be the first one, but one of the first ones I was singing was Dick Powell, Ruby Keeler, who incidentally was married to Earl Dawson for a time. Dick Powell, Kina, in, oh God, I can't remember what it was called. I think probably something like one of the first, like the Broadway Melody of 1938 or something like that. Mm. That's just amazing. <laughs> I say, yes, you probably weren't even born. Well, certainly some of them you wouldn't have been. No, you wouldn't. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, look, this is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, Hazel. <laughs> Sorry, also, yeah, just your, your name again. Hazel. Okay, Hazel. Yes, that was Hazel. Hazel, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I mean, I, I honestly could just sit down and listen to her speak. I was like, okay, so wait a second. You went all the way from <laughs> silence to talkies, from black and white to colour. <laughs> so so like, yeah, the whole panoply of yeah, you, the you, whole history of the cinema. Essentially, really, you've lived through the history of cinema. That's so cool, isn't it? <laughs> so do you think she mean... Name. When she was talking about the Al Jolson story, because there is a film called the Al Jolson story. Yeah, but that's made, that's like that in the 40s. That was like in the 40s, musical. Yeah. But then there's like the jazz singer, which is one of the first musicals. I, I think she was that, talking about the jazz the singer. The jazz singer. Yeah, I think she was Where he, you know, he sings. You yeah, know? and you're like, oh, what is that? What is that? Because <laughs> I'm trying to think when that would have been. Would that have been in the mid-20s? That would have been the 20s, yeah. Yeah, 27, 1927. So how old was Hazel? Well, hello, Hazel. I hope you're getting on well in the ward. She, uh, wait, me. you can hear you from her voice. An, like, uh, you don't ask a lady her age. I but. did not ask a lady her age. I just sat there and tried to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured that she might have been around about 10 or something like that when she saw the, when she saw jazz singing. So she would have been young, wouldn't she? Yeah. Otherwise she'd be... Yeah, yeah but it's... it's uh, it, I, was, I, was just, I was just in 
oh, oh, just kind of like yeah, that's amazing to hear. I was like, someone I thinking, love, I love doing this. I love this show. Yeah. <laughs> to remember that. And do you think the the lady in distress on the railway? Do you think that was like Harold Lloyd, one of those type silent things? I think it. I think it might have been because the. Because I used to like Harold Lloyd better than the other bus to keep him Like yeah. Harold Lloyd was my favourite. Because yeah. they used to show them on BBC Two years ago. They did, yeah, I remember they, they that. They used to yeah. have a series of just at tea time. You'd go to BBC Two and they would put on these silent films yeah. with just musical. And they, they did the whole series of Harold Lloyd ones. Well, yeah, they, so, well I can even remember the theme tune to that. It used yeah. to go, hooray for Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd, yeah, they did. There was like it, because he's the guy that, there's that famous old silent one where he hangs from a clock. Yeah, from Big Ben, yeah. And, yeah. And so. often you had those things where he would rescue the damsel in distress, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. And also, I love the fact that it was also that essentially the beginning of episodic TV. Like, you know, she's yeah. going to get run over by the train. Come back next week oh, to next find, week's out. find out. Yeah, cliffhangers. Yeah. And people did, they didn't they? If they went to the pictures once a week, you yeah. would get to see these like Buster Keaton films and Buster Crab and all the Buck yeah. Rogers and. I mean, they were just getting Tarzan sound. and all those stuff. Yeah, they were just getting sound. People, people didn't have TVs. <laughs> like. <laughs> But no, it was just a, a, a it was just a way of speaking to him like well you lived through the history of cinema that is just you saw that, it all that's just mental yeah. and I think I have seen some Dick Powell musicals going back years because again in my youth you only had three channels on the television and on a Saturday afternoon on BBC Two there's always a film on mm-hmm. and you you watched what was on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that. <laughs> It yeah. You didn't have any choice. It was like, is that or nothing? And you went, okay, watch that then. Yeah, because she spoke um, about Dick Powell and Ruby Keeler, who yeah, were, and I'm who sure were quite Dick a. Dick Powell musicals, yeah. Yeah, because they were they were sort of like a pairing. Because when I was reading through like on Wikipedia, it was talking about them. Almost, it was almost like they paired them up a bit like a Fred Astaire, Ginger, Ginger Rogers yeah. thing. Rogers, yeah. It was almost like they paired them up like, uh, as one of those you things. You do often find these sort of screen husbands and wives, don't you, where they made three or four, well, several films together. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I couldn't. Uh, there's a film that's called something of 1938. Gold that, Diggers. Yeah. yeah, Gold Diggers of 1938 with both of them in it. Not one called a Broadway musical. So Hazel, maybe that's the one that you were thinking of. Maybe that's uh, well, we hope so. But um, yeah, well, I just I just want to go watch some of this stuff. Yeah. And Hazel also also requested. She requested some song. Well, requested a couple. We have time for one. And this is Jimmy Young, Too Young. So Hazel, we hope you enjoy it. Yes, Jimmy Young, making me think I need to go get some Jimmy Young in my life. <laughs> <Was that? laughs> Jimmy Young was that the, uh, the DJ, DJ Jimmy yeah. Young? Yeah? yeah, wow. Yeah, because yeah, uh, she was always talking. She was she spoke a lot about it because she said um, she said if you can't find any Jimmy Young, get some Perry Como. If you can't find any Perry Como, get some Val Dunican. I was a Duhican. Oh, Duhican, it is Duhican. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And she because she was like she was like just so, like you know the smooth voices that just so yeah. like you know flow yeah, out of them and everything. Yeah, yeah the cruders. And uh, I think it's funny that you know we started off by playing "Singing in the Rain" at the beginning, which it was, which is all built around the whole idea of silent movies and then switching to like talkies, mm-hmm. talkies yeah. and all that. And she was essentially talking about that and how like you know you had some actors 
who 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 whose careers were ruined more or less because yeah. sound came along. John Gilbert. And he's uh, a famous one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, John Gilbert's the famous one. Yeah, because it was just kind of like, oh, they look great and they could go around and they were athletic, but people hated their voices. What's that? What's that film that came out recently, which it, it won an the Oscar? Artist. The Artist. That's yeah. that's that's a really really great movie. That yeah, is, all of, all about and that period. Yeah, as well. all about that all period. About that period yeah. And I mean, his voice is really at the end. His, his voice is really really good voice isn't, isn't it, it? <laughs> well the whole idea is that you, you never realise that he's French throughout yeah. the whole film and then he just goes of course yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good movie no I love the artist I yeah. really, really love the artist okay cool Move. So once again time is just cracking on and now we have people well, first, well, first of all Hazel thank you so much yeah, thanks, thank you Hazel. so much for that I mean I'd, I really wish I could just come and sit and talk to you for three hours <laughs> now and uh, we have people on Facebook and from other places outside the hospital just one way or another suggesting films that we should watch and we had a suggestion from a friend of ours called Dave with, of a film called The Ninth Configuration now we couldn't <laughs> find this film anywhere and but thankfully Dave had it on DVD and when he actually handed us this DVD I saw the cover of the DVD and I thought, oh, good Lord, it's going to be one of those. Because the cover of the DVD, hang on, I'll, I'm going to describe what it looks like. So this, the cover of the DVD has what looks like an astronaut on the moon landing with the American flag beside him looking up at a crucifix with Jesus on it. That sums up the film pretty well. <laughs> Essentially. I'd, 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 I, was like, I was like, okay, so... We've got an astronaut with uh, like an astronaut dressed up, and he's got the American flag. He's he's on the moon, and Jesus is on the moon, and he's and I was like, oh my god, it's going to be one of those films. <laughs> now, Sharon, you are the one who actually has seen most of this film than any one of us. Yes. And what did you think? That's an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those films that almost defies description. Uh-huh. And when I've, I've read about this since then, thinking, oh, I need to see, to get some help to unraveling what this is all about. Yeah. But yes, it's one of those films you don't... I, as I, I spoke to Dave last night about this film, because um, Dave, he's, he's in my quiz team at the cinema, and he recommended this one. And I said to him, I'm not sure if it's load of utter twaddle yeah. or whether it's really deep. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got such... As there's, it, there's, as you say, the picture on the front has got this astronaut looking up at Jesus on the cross. And you're not sure whether it's really profound or really stupid. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it, it's looking into the idea of the existence of God the nature of evil, the nature of good, and whether anyone is truly good. And it explores that idea of an ultimate sacrifice and what it means for a good person to sacrifice themselves or to sacrifice something that really means a lot to them. Yeah. And why do people sacrifice themselves in the name of something? Uh, is it because they're good? <laughs> Does good exist? Does evil exist? It's really quite profound. Or it's just nuts. It's just like they they just let some guy loose in the editing suite who didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just tell you a little bit of a story about about um, what I know about this film. The Ninth Configuration was made in 1980 and it was made and directed by a gentleman called William Peter Blatty whose best known piece of work is The Exorcist. He actually, he wrote the original novel yeah, that yeah. The Exorcist was based on and he wrote the screenplay for The Exorcist movie. Right. Yeah. So it's, that's his best known piece of work. He yeah. actually says here, I was just reading a little bit because I'm looking it up. It said, William P- Peter Blatty has said that he considers this movie, that's The Ninth Configuration, to be the true sequel to The Exorcist. 
And the character, if you look up the character, the main character, his name is, I've got it written down here. The the one played by Stacey Keach. No, Billy Cutshaw is the astronaut. Oh, yes, yes. That character does feature in The Exorcist. Very, very briefly. He's in there somewhere. Uh Yeah, the the same actors in there. He appears in, in the credits for The Exorcist. It's a bit weird. But basically, you start off in the Pacific Northwest of America and you see this really incongruous castle. And you later find out that this castle has been taken apart bit by bit in from Bavaria Germany. and is from yeah. Germany and has been rebuilt in the Pacific Northwest in these tall pine woods yeah. in America. And it's used by the army to house the shell-shocked or just plain nuts US servicemen. From Vietnam. From Vietnam. Mm. And, that, and the part of their treatment is to not try to break them out of their delusions but to try to get into their delusions with them. So if people think one of well, them... Well, that, that's, so that's what happens because originally they have like a drill sergeant who seems to be trying to break them out of it. Then they yeah. have a new psychiatrist who shows up who seemed, who's, who does that, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Who tries to think, you know, that we've tried these other methods, they don't work. We need to get into their delusions to find out what's happening inside these people's minds. Mm-hmm. And then you meet this whole cast of characters. One of the people who in, is in this castle is an astronaut who, on the point of being launched into space, goes mad. Yeah. And they have to call off the launch, costing millions of dollars. It's a huge scandal and all publicity. And he's sent to this place and he is in the middle of his delusion. He's the main character. And it's the idea of, you know, he didn't want to go into space because he was worried that he might be left there and there'd be nothing there. Mm. And he'd be on his own with nothing. And he was like, it's his quest to find out, does God exist? If I'm in space, would I, would God be there or would I be on my own? Would there be nothing there? Yeah. So this sort of drives him mad, this thought of aloneness. Mm-hmm. And then to this castle comes the psychiatrist, played by Stacey Keach, who we all know from the, the 80s, who plays this Colonel Kane, who goes up there and instead of trying to like shout or to um, put them back into their army situation where they follow orders and they stand to attention and they do drills, he tries to enter into their delusion. Mm-hmm. By this one guy who wants to stage a performance of Hamlet, cast entirely with dogs, <laughs> and you see him auditioning different dogs for different roles, and things. <laughs> and there's another guy who's convinced he's a doctor, and so when he first introduces himself, he's chatting to the doctor, who really does believe that yeah, he is yeah, the, yeah. the castle doctor, and it's not; he's another patient. Yeah. And then the real doctor says, "Oh, he's stolen my stethoscope. He's stolen my trousers again." And you see this all tussle. So there's it's mad. It's, there's mad humour in it where you think you can't work out quite what's going on at all because <laughs> you never know who's sane and who's not. Okay, yeah. And then that's part of the as the the thing progresses. Yeah, okay, because I think that oh, I was I was oh, because Sean and I were watching bits of the film just before you walked in. Because I've seen about the first forty minutes of this film, and those first forty minutes they're so jam packed full of stuff. That you could talk about them for two hours. Yeah. I, I have to say, from what I've seen, I so so want to see this. I so so want to see this movie. Yeah. It I looks think you should right be the one to street. preview this. I should have. I should have. Yeah, if I'd have had it, I probably would have. But I'd love to see this movie. Because no. Dave, I've got the notes that Dave gave me when I was yeah. talking to him about this film, saying that why is why this film? Yeah. And he says for him, it's just thought provoking. It's funny. It's sad. It just does all those things that gets you thinking. Yeah. And it certainly does that when you come at the end of it. You're thinking, what the hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't know quite what to make of it, and it, but it is sad. It's funny. It is thought provoking. It's, it's got one. It's got a terrific actor, and I, I love called Scott Wilson. Um, 
which I noticed. I don't know if he's he the plays astro- the cat. Who plays he, the astronaut? He plays the astronaut. Yeah. Um. I and I just sort of was looking. He's in, in. He played Herschel in the Walking, the Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, but mm. it was also another film I mentioned just before we, we we came on air about a film called Castle Keep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually in Castle Keep as it's- well. So <laughs> this was a film made in '69, which is again, it's like somewhere in the Ardennes, and that's a castle. And Burt Lancaster, he's got an eye patch. And he has to hold... There's there's a bunch of characters that are all pulled together. And they're all pretty strange, you know, as Peter Falk. Mm. I, it's, it's been on telly a few times. So, 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 so we have... So what's his name? Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson, Scott Wilson, yeah. Lincoln, The Exorcist, The Ninth Configuration, The Walking Dead, Dead. and Castle Keep. So and he, Exorcist 3 he's in as well. Yeah, yeah, he just shows up does weird yeah. stuff. <laughs> so, he's like, hello, yeah. this film will be weird. I mean, it is weird. <laughs> and in, and in well, one of my worst films, Pearl Harbor... He's in that as well. Yes. Like, the, 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 oh, that was weird for totally different reasons. <laughs> yeah, don't. But, like, but the, the th- weird thing about this film is that the first 40 minutes, you know, as I said, I, I saw the cover of the DVD and I thought, oh my God, it's going to be one of those. And I was watching it going, oh my God, it is one of those. But I kind of like it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like there's the, something about it that does draw you in, like, almost against your will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's even even the way the film, even the way the film kicks off, and like you know, you just have like this shot of a puddle, and then you have like a shot of a, the, then you have the shot of the, uh, the shot of the shuttle about yeah, about to go shuttle, up, yeah. and then then this massive moon comes up in the background behind the shuttle, and it's just sort of like rising, and you're like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on yeah. here? And it, it just draws you in. It's, it's like I think, obviously, the guy who made it, William Peter Blatty, he, you get the feeling he knew exactly what he was going for, yeah. and it feels like everything in this film, as crazy and as chaotic as it seems, seems very deliberate. Yes. It's very deliberate that that goes in there. It's very deliberate, even like the sound mix, because there's bits where you're hearing things and you're not sure whether it's actually happening in the scene or whether it's happening in, I don't know, the head of whoever's narrating this whole thing yeah. to you. It's yeah. and, and it's full of symbolism. You get the yeah. feeling that a lot of it is symbolic of, yeah. of something, of, it, of, it, of, it, of faith, of life, of good, of evil. There's all these symbolic images, so you get these flashes of things and you think... Yeah. Well, okay, well, in that little little clip we saw before, yeah, he, um, there's one chat. I don't know which one it is, but he, he walks out and he's looking over the balcony, and yeah. right behind him, you've got like a gargoyle, yes. yeah, and almost like, and, and he's in exactly the same pose as this gargoyle is, which, yeah. which I think is really, yeah. Really cool. I think it's looking at again that sort of thing is looking at the nature of evil, isn't yeah. it? And looking at are we inherently good or are we inherently bad? It, and if we're inherently bad how do good things happen how do people do these yeah. acts of self-sacrifice if we're inherently bad without something else being involved in mm-hmm. the mix yeah you well, know I, I, and then they're saying is that it's so just faith is faith is faith that that unknown quantity that makes people do these things or is it something else that makes people do good things when they're inherently bad or bad things when they should be inherently good it's just this the nature of life and mankind based on the first 40 minutes of this film alone i'm willing to say this is a very good film yeah yeah I was, I, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's all like i've seen it's all like transcends because it, it gives me everything i think i would that would put me off about a film but i still want to keep watching yeah, <laughs> and yeah. i still want a good there is worth it there's this crazy scene in a bar where the, with this house angels gang they're called the chain gang and they have chains yeah. <laughs> and there's this scene where one of them gets picks the fight with the wrong guy I won't tell you who and 
this one house angel who's got a lot of eyeliner and he's got wow bl- blow dried hair and he's not like any biker I've ever seen. It was the beginning else. of the 80s. Yeah. And then he's a, he picks the fight with the wrong guy and then he gives this scream and it's the most like effeminate high pitched <laughs> scream you've ever heard. And I think in some ways the film is worth it just to hear this house angel scream yeah. like a little girl. Yeah. 70s is definitely one of the yeah. best eras for movies. I think it was it, definitely one of the most interesting. Interesting, yeah. One of the most interesting because there's bits about this film that where it seems like it's almost just like you know your usual inside an asylum movie like one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah. or something like that but then it just takes like a left turn and something yeah. happens and you're like what the heck was that what's all that about yeah <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah. You've uh, got, there's all these people who are in their delusions have their own costumes you think where did they get their clothes from how could you dress <laughs> up as a wizard and you're in the middle of nowhere in an army bed yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like okay <laughs> hey, Sean did you want to say something quickly oh, I was just saying that, that just with an ear I mean uh, Perhaps we could talk about this another time. You ever seen Slaughterhouse Five? Oh. It was a movie. No, okay. heard of well, it, but never seen that. it. Yeah, well, that's that's another put it on your strange list. one. That's like seventy-two. So, put, put but it, it was definitely a time of experimental oh, cinema. Definitely and for sure. People could explore these different ideas, and they would be financed by the, the studios to say, "Okay, make it." Yeah, and people would actually because it's quite it. cheap as well. And then people would turn up. Yeah, they probably were made on a budget. Yeah, yeah. but people would go and see them as well. Yeah, and go, yeah. Okay, and but that did win win an award for best screenplay at the Golden Globes of nineteen eighty. Yeah, the ninth configuration. I'm not surprised because it's it's just one of those things. I think it's I think it's a sign of something where you where you finish watching and you think I think I like that, but I'm not entirely sure why. Yes, I watched a bit like what we said with Clockwork Orange earlier. Yeah, Yeah, when I watched, I was like, I don't know what I think about that film yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I need to go think of you because you don't walk around going I hate it. I don't walk, uh, but you go I need to think about that before I decide whether I like it. Yeah, it left me thinking I don't know what I think yet. All right, cool. Now, here's some music from this. This actually, uh, now, Sean, this has a link with a film that you chose a couple of weeks ago. That uh, a film that you loved because you said that you you spoke about how much you love this film from the 70s again. And it kicks off with this with this musical number. And this same musical number kicks off this film. I made sure I didn't show you this bit earlier so that you could actually. But anyway, this is this is a song that kicks off the film, The Nine Configuration. It's a good song. San Antonio, it's really good to see you Over San Antonio, you sure look good to me Yep, as if Sean needed another reason to <laughs> another reason to think, oh man, I need to go watch this film. Because that that's that same exact same song. You should have seen Sean punch punch the air on the first line when the first line <laughs> the first lyric gave in. So that exact same song kicks off a film that you chose a couple of weeks which ago, a, which was Rolling Thunder. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a, I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, whoa it yeah. Dog. Yeah, excellent. Okay, cool. Uh, now, coming towards the end of, well, well, end of our first hour of the show. And um, now we talk about, oh, we have a section called Island Movies, or I Love Movies, where we talk about movies that either were shot on the island or set on an island. And this week, we have chosen Lord of the Flies. We don't know exactly which version of this <laughs> we're talking about because it's been made so many times, including once in like the 90s with Freddie Highmore. 
I was like, what the? Eh, eh. But so it's so. Uh, but yeah, Lord of the Flies. Who's I, okay. Yeah. I pitched in on this one, and you you go, Shawnee, then. Yeah, that's okay. I'll just do a quick one, then you can. But I was just thinking, it's really really funny because I think the the black and white one, the nineteen sixty three one, nineteen sixty three one, is um, absolutely brilliant, and the modern one the whatever year yeah the, the the modern one with the americans in at the end i really really hate and yet at school if you was ever to show the 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 two different versions the youngsters nowadays just want the color version oh, oh yeah, yeah i don't want to watch black and white ones <laughs> <laughs> black and white ones so i, I, I don't know i went i just ignored the color one and i thought <laughs> we, we don't make them like they used to let's go back to 1963 <laughs> definitely yeah i thought yeah i'm not going to even bother looking up that one i'm going to do all my Sort of, you know, genning up on the 1963 version. Oh, yep, yep. Which so was directed by Peter Brook. Okay. And obviously, it's based on a story by William Golding. And I think I, probably like many other school children raised in this country, we read the book when yeah. we were at yeah. high school. Yeah. 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 I think they still do. They and do, this was yeah. a film that we saw at, which was us in my school days were in the 70s and 80s. So I saw this in 1984 or somewhere. So before they'd made the the remake of it, so this was a film we had to see. Yeah. And I, so that's my memory. I was watching it again this afternoon just to refresh my memory, thinking I remember the the impressions I had when I watched it as a school child, and then my memories now, and they are still the same, the same scenes that stick in your mind. Yeah. But basically, this to summarise, those who don't didn't read it when they were at school, it's a group of schoolboys who were evacuated during an unnamed war. We don't know what the conflict is, but they're being evacuated. Yeah. And their plane goes down and they end up washed up on this deserted island and there are no adults. It's just this mixed group of schoolboys, all schoolboys. And they originally start off trying to organise themselves. They set up their rules. They have like a council. Yeah. But it soon degenerates into like two camps. One's led by a boy called Ralph who like represents civilization. He like tries to maintain the rules. He tries to maintain order. And then a boy called Jack who wants to hunt and he want and he sort of represents this sort of wildness, this sort of savage. Primal kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, this sort of a more brutal sort of way of life. And so these two come into conflict about the different ways of how they're gonna live on the island, whether they try to maintain their old lives of order and discipline, or whether they just descend, uh, you know, you can tell how what I think about it, they descend into this more <laughs> survivalist society yeah. where it is the strong and the fit who get the food and those who are younger or weaker at the bottom of the pecking order. Yeah. And so it's about protecting the weak. But again, looking at the other themes we've had all evening about this sort of like degeneracy, whether it's are people inherently good, are they inherently bad? When you take a group of children and you sort of abandon them without adult influences, do they... Does it do their in, does their innocence uh, you know, rise to the surface and they all love each other, or does their like baser instincts come to the surface and it's all about survival? Mm-hmm. And so it's looking at the nature: are we inherently good? Are we inherently bad or selfish? Yeah. And so it just looks at, and through these, you see these children acting out these different scenarios that no child should be in. Yeah. Uh, about survival and savagery and innocence lost yeah because oh the thing is i never actually i never i've never seen a film version of this i've only ever read the book and it was one of these things because obviously william golding it was like Mm. his first book first book and it was one of these things where when we first when i first got the book in nigeria it was a time when i was going through a a, like a hefty reading phase it was like give me anything and i'll read it and the cover of this was a yellow cover and then it had a pair of broken glasses yeah, like I pig, know the, yeah, yeah, I think pig, I know the copy you've got. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. Piggy's uh, glasses. glasses. Yeah, yeah. Piggy's glasses, glasses on the cover. And uh, and I 
I picked this up thinking it was like an Enid Blyton book or something like that because yeah. it was it st- you start reading it and it's all about okay school boys boarding school and then they end up on this island and then and it's a whole bunch of boys so I was, I was going yay boys on adventure and we're going to yeah. see how they're going to do and they're probably going to find like you know somebody on the, and they're going to find some treasure and I just kept reading and going what 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 the heck's going on? <laughs> what? Uh, not Simon. That was leave Simon alone. Yeah, yeah. no, no. That is. Oh no. Uh, I think the the mm. person who breaks my heart the most is Piggy. Piggy, yeah. Uh, P- Piggy breaks my heart. I mean, and it's it's just kind of, and w- they're so we, cruel. Aren't they? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and Sam and Eric, the little twins. Yeah. Uh, is, uh, I, yeah. I just remember reading the book, not quite understanding what it was I was reading, but finishing it and going, "Oh my word, that was." That was sad. That was depressing. What the heck went on there? And then only later on, I begin to realize that this was like this big allegory, a bit like a bit like Animal Farm. I mean, I saw the cartoon version of Animal Farm when I was probably about seven. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and you realize it's you go, not actually about animals at all. Yeah, and, and I remember what it was a similar thing to watching that and going and just looking at watching it and going. I don't think this is about the pigs. <laughs> I, I don't think that, yeah, I, I, some, something like this isn't the pigs. I, 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 and not being able to put your finger on it, but knowing that there was something bigger here that you were being told. And yeah, I, I thought the same thing with Lord of the Flies. I just felt like it was like, whoa, there's something going on here that I don't quite get. <laughs> but yeah. I've read it. But, I always think of the conch. I don't know. The conch. Yeah, yeah. The conch. The conch. Yeah. <laughs> The conch, conch and whoever whoever has the conch can speak, <laughs> yeah. and then and then Jack essentially and it's kind of like when he throws away the conch, that's kind of like the signal, the signal, yeah. saying I reject your rules, civilization yeah. or this, yeah, yeah this yeah. way of life. I've thrown it away. Yeah, no, but especially when you think about what just happened in London last night. Yeah, yeah, like the the sort of the anti-capitalist demonstration and how that's that. It, there's a lot of parallels and this is one of those things I yeah. think like you know it be, whether you say Golden was being prophetic a bit like Burgess with Clockwork Orange just sort of saying this is the this is like an eternal thing we're going to have where there's going to be society going to set up rules and live by them but then people are going to question and say why do we have to live by these rules, these rules yeah. exactly. and yeah. then they set fire to a police car and you think what has that got to yeah. do with your and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and I think yeah. the, the weird thing that, that gets that that gets me it's that well what i find about it is that it happens in both well in clockwork orange happens in in um, lord of the flies as well it's kind of like so if a whole bunch of people get up and say we don't want your rules we want nothing and they rebel against it about the only way and they say survival of the fittest about the only way that you can maintain the rules is to become fitter than they are yeah and crush them crush them yeah. so crush them to reinstate the rules so in a way their way is like you know the survival of the fittest is actually what's going on with the facade of having rules it's yeah. so it's, yeah. it's so, and i think that's what golding was sort of like pushing at and everything like golding and brothers yeah but they both they're going slightly different directions but i think it's, it's quite interesting and I it's think. exploring the idea of like the absence of rules is the absence of rules freedom or do those rules give you freedom to exist within it so if you take all the rules away do you become more free or less free and, and they're saying you start off thinking all the boys are like running around going yeah no this is great yeah and then it's like okay what about the little ones because they have two camps and the big ones and the little ones yeah mm-hmm. and uh, at one point in the film you see Ralph saying are only the big ones here and they say no only little ones it's like oh, we need big ones <laughs> because he's got all the vulnerable ones he's got all the weak ones in his camp yeah but all the strong ones all the big ones are with Jack and the hunters yeah and you think yeah society can't exist if you don't protect those the weak ones as well yeah the vulnerable ones i guess the vulnerable yeah, ones. Yeah. 
So it's very. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's ex- all profound stuff, isn't it's, it? Isn't ex- it's extremely clever. <laughs> extremely, yeah, extremely freedom, clever. The nature of man. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Sticking pineapples in unmentionable places. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry watch the nine configuration you'll get that reference <laughs> but anyway we're out of time and on that note we'll have to say oh, wow. thank you very much for listening today thank you for joining us listen to your doctors get well soon get home and remember that they just do not make them like they used to thank you <laughs>